welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. I think Jordan mentioned earlier that we're coming down the back stretch of this series, and our passage today is John 1, verses 35 through 42. It's on page 1063, if you want to look it up, uh, in the Bibles that are in the chair. John 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there again, John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Just to kind of give you a heads up regarding next weekend. At both services, we're going to conclude this series uh, with what we call words of the people, something we do occasionally. We'll actually do it this Thursday night with a different focus. But next Sunday at both services, we're going to have words of the people. And what we'll do is we'll have microphones set, uh, set up out Uh, where you are, and you will have a chance to share where God has been stirring in you, what he's been perhaps shaking up in you, where he's been speaking to you, where he's been at work in you, maybe through something that's going on in this series, or perhaps through some of your interactions in your inside-out small group that you've been participating in. So I say it now so that you can think about it, and perhaps even be in prayer about what might you bring next week to share with the rest of us as we continue to kind of learn how to be pastors and priests to each other. Well, for several weeks now, we have been talking about inside-out transformation. God's Spirit working with our intention, our will, to gradually cultivate His character and His way in us. Cultivate things like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And today, we are focusing on the question, how do we follow Jesus? That is, how do we live as his disciple or live as his apprentice in the school of life or live as his student? And to begin, whenever it comes to phrases like follow Jesus or things like this, I think it's important to acknowledge the hollowness of many of the Christian words and phrases we routinely use like follow Jesus or follower of Jesus. Hollow because maybe it's used so much, we haven't reflectively considered the depth of such a phrase and the breadth of its implications in everyday life stuff. One of the ongoing temptations we face, it seems to me, is to understate the implications of our Christian faith. As Dave mentioned A couple of weeks ago, there are many factors that are at work. They're at work in our thoughts. 
They're at work in our wills. They're at work because they represent things from our past. They're at work in our culture. And these factors are at work trying to truncate the gospel of Jesus. That is, cut it down and make it small so it has minimal influence on us as we deal with life's problems and challenges and decisions. Or let me put it this way. Factors that are at work in us trying to chop the giant redwood tree of the gospel into small firewood kindling. Or let me put it this way. It's really not that difficult. happens all the time. It's not that difficult to be a professing Christian and a practical atheist all at the same time. Let me give you an example. We are having some work done at our house, and as you well know, when there's work being done at one's abode, it means various inconveniences, various unexpected things, unavoidable delays, and now and then, an occasional headache. And it's what happens when work is being done at one's abode. And the default mode, at least I think the default mode is for many, is that none of this has anything to do with faith or things like inside-out transformation. The temptation is to reduce this common suburban situation to a life thing, but not a spiritual thing. And we do this all the time. So this big pile over here that's just getting higher and higher has to do with life's realities. And this little pile over here happens to be the spiritual stuff in our life. And yet if the gospel, again as Dave suggested, is good news about life with God under his leadership right now and on into forever, then all of the inconveniences and twists associated with something mundane like a home project have everything to do with our Christian faith and with our inside-out transformation. Because a project like this, a home project like this, think about it, what it involves. It involves money, time, patience, lots of impatience, disorientation, uncomfortable. It has to do with our attitude. It has to do with our reactions when things don't go our way. Who we are through these things is being pushed and pulled, and who we are is being pulled to the surface and put on display. And there are about 10,000 other inner life issues at play in this seemingly benign and boring and mundane thing called a home project. Very much related to this is the obvious but often overlooked question, how do I follow Jesus is only meaningful if I want to follow Jesus. Meaning, the first question, or the question we're looking at today, how do I follow Jesus, only has meaning if we've answered a prerequisite question, do I want to follow Jesus? So back into our story, these two disciples are walking behind Jesus. And the language used in the Bible is that they were following him in the sense that they were walking behind him. But not yet following him in the sense that we're talking about here today. And he turns around and he asks, what do you want? 
And this question is one Jesus asks and keeps asking those who say they want to follow him or those who are following him. What do you want? What are you after? Why are you here? What do you want? I think we could make a case that Jesus asks us this question every single day and many times during the day from the moment we awake and face all of life's situations until we fall asleep. And then when we wake up the next day, he asks it again. How to follow Jesus doesn't mean anything unless I want to follow Jesus. On this day, in this moment right in front of me, and in this situation. And if we do want to, and we're going to proceed throughout the rest of this, assuming we do, it seems to me the specific is always better than the general. So following Jesus as a general life mantra probably won't make much difference until we bring this resolve of following Jesus into, let's say, a Tuesday that is packed with things like the flu, an ornery baby, a sore knee, a check engine light on our dashboard, a late bus, an annoying boss, a low-grade depression we can't get rid of, boredom, an argument with a friend or spouse, a favorite sin that is calling our name, a work deadline, a house project, a marriage without much love and hardly much like. How do we follow Jesus on a typical Tuesday? Well, our passage gives us a few suggestions. None of the, this is not all-encompassing, but the passage gives us a few suggestions. And the first one is we follow Jesus by keeping company with him. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, two disciples of John, John the Baptist, hear John say as Jesus walks by, look, the Lamb of God. And for Jewish ears, this is a tad more significant than, hey, you see that guy? He's a really good dude. This carries a lot more weight than that. Lamb of God puts Jesus in rare company as a candidate for Messiah of Israel, the long-hoped-for king. And when these two guys heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Literally, they walked behind him because they were intrigued. Who says that of another person, Lamb of God? They were interested. Maybe they were even a fan of Jesus because their guy, John the Baptist, was a fan of Jesus. But not yet following Jesus in any meaningful sense because these two guys don't really know who he is. So Jesus turns around, as I already mentioned, and he faces them and he poses a question that has been reverberating ever since. He asked, what do you want? And this question, like all of Jesus' questions, is multi-layered and multi-colored. In verse 39, they respond by asking where he's staying. Now, I find that rather odd. He asks them, what do you want? And they say, well, where are you staying? It seems fairly obvious that what they're really saying is, what we want is to spend some time with you. So wherever you're going, would it be okay if we came too? And Jesus says, come and you will see. And then the Bible says they spent the day with him. And that's the phrase I want us just to think about for a moment. They spent the day with him, and something happened while they hung out on that day that changed these guys forever. And so right here in high definition, we see a basic key to follow Jesus in life and on a Tuesday. And that is, we have to find ways, occasionally, 
regularly to carve out time and space to hang out with Jesus, to be with him, to keep his company. It's a really simple idea. There's no deep you know, undercurrent on this one. We have to find ways to hang out with him. You think about all the time and all the energy that we spend and invest to tune into various voices and influencers and inputs. And the simple idea here is, if we're going to follow Jesus and all the twists and turns of a typical Tuesday, we have to find a way to keep company with Jesus and hang out with him. And we keep company with him so we get to know him better. That is, we come to know his heart. We know what makes him tick. We know from experience then his goodness. We know his love and how wide and long and high it is. To follow Jesus in the details of a Tuesday in November of 2023, we have to know how Jesus himself would live in the details of a Tuesday in November of 2023. So we regularly keep his company. We hang out with him. We interact with him. We listen to him. We talk with him. And through all of this, we learn who he is. We get to know him better, and he gets to know us better. But we have to keep digging if this is going to mean anything, because so far, what I've said is the prime stuff for nodding heads. Yep, need to do that, yep. But we got to dig a little deeper, I think, if this is going to mean anything. We keep his company in particular by reading about him in the Gospels. We keep his company in particular by reading about him in the Gospels, or if you prefer, listening to somebody read about him in the Gospels, and then reflecting on what we see. Just think about this in pure, basic, logical reasoning. We want to follow Jesus, but we rarely, if ever, immerse ourselves in the stories that show us who he is. How does that work? How does that connect? In the Gospels, we hear his teaching. Maybe more importantly, in the Gospels, we see his teaching come to life through his example of interacting in a hundred different situations. Some of us are visual learners, and the Gospels give us a visual of how God would live on a Tuesday. So, We immerse ourselves in the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is what we're doing here today. In the Gospels, we see over and again that the kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdoms of the world. In the Gospels, we see over and over again Jesus' faith in his Father. In the Gospels, we see how Jesus responds when he is criticized. In the Gospels, we watch Jesus come upon those who are suffering, and we see how he handles it. In the Gospels, we see how Jesus loves those who are thought to be unlovable. In the Gospels, we see how Jesus very skillfully confronts the power of the kingdoms of this world. And we see how he cares for those who are hurting, and again, 
on and on we go, we can find visual examples of Jesus dealing with things we deal with on a Tuesday. Several years ago, I was a freshman football coach at Folsom High School, and sometime in that era, not having really anything to do with coaching football, but for my own enjoyment, I read a biography of Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of, if you don't know, ask Chris Bertelli, but you know who he was the legendary coach of. The Green Bay Slackers, as this year's version is called. And I didn't intend this, but reading the life of Vince Lombardi while I was coaching football influenced how I coached football. Not because I was trying to be like Lombardi, how ridiculous is that? But because his expertise and his wisdom couldn't help influence and impact how I coached. What I was reading about in his life had a direct expression and laboratory to be lived out in my life. The Gospels are the biography of Jesus Christ and a goldmine for learning how to live. His expertise and his wisdom on how to live saturates these pages and these stories. And if we are interested in knowing how to live, following him, again, just pure logic says, we should be in the biography. And his expertise and his wisdom will shape how we handle things. So we keep his company by taking time to read and listen and immerse ourselves in the Gospels. Now, we live in an era of phones. I was thinking about this the other day. Where would I go buy an actual hold-it-in-my-hand Bible if I wanted one? Used to be stores all over the place go in and get one for $400 that give you one that's about this big. Where do you do that anymore? You really, you know, you order it on Amazon or whatever. But most of us have a phone. And there are apps for Bible apps, Verse, one of them is called, that will give you a six-day plan, a month-long plan, a part of the New Testament, a part of the Old Testament, one book, Matthew, one book, Philippians, you name it, you can find it. And they, can, they will even send you every day, don't forget to read blank. So it's pretty easy. There's all sorts of stuff like that. Ways to keep company with Jesus through his Gospels. Next thing that's in the passage is keep returning to him. How do we follow Jesus on a Tuesday? Keep God and his kingdom central in our thoughts as we go through Tuesday. Keep God and his kingdom in focus in everything we do. In the middle of the house project, keep God and his kingdom in the front of our minds so whatever is happening is being shaped by God and his kingdom. And then trust the spirit of God to be our guide and companion in these home projects and in the other Tuesday delicacies that await us. But you and I both know, unless we want to pretend and be fake, that we have a habit on a Tuesday of following self instead of following Jesus. So we lose our way. More importantly, more specifically, we go our own way. Andrew was one of the guys in the story who 
spent the day with Jesus. And when it was over, the Bible says in verse 40, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then he brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And if we dig in a little bit to what Cephas slash Peter means back in the language they were using, it means rock. So in a sense, he's saying, you're going to be called Rocky by the time I'm done with you. Now, Jesus doesn't know Peter's favorite color or food, but he renames him. The transformation, the inner transformation, has already begun even though Peter has no clue of what is happening because Jesus can see who this guy is and who he one day will become, and yet It will take a long time for Simon to become Peter. Changing his name doesn't instantly change his inside. It's going to take a long time for this temperamental fisherman to become, Matthew 16, the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. And all along the way, Peter will advance and then retreat. He will step ahead, and then he will fall back. He will follow Jesus this moment, and he will follow Peter in the next moment. And here's the thing. Every last one of us is a prodigal. We wander off. We follow self. We are all prodigals. When we talk about a community of people who are humble and who are broken, and who are not interested in the fake, but who are seeking the real, a lot of that journey begins by recognizing I am a prodigal. I wander off. I do my own thing. I follow me. And then I try to slap Jesus on the end of it and say, he told me to. But we are all prodigals. And when, like the prodigal son in Luke's gospel, When we turn away for a moment, for many moments, for a long time, how do we follow Jesus when we turn away? We get up like the prodigal son in Luke's gospel, and we keep returning to the Father. While we were still a long way off, our Father saw us and was filled with compassion for us. He ran to us, threw his arms around us, and kissed us. How do I follow Jesus When I don't follow him. Think of Peter. Return to him. Think of the prodigal. Get up and return to him. And I realize a lot of this is happening in the moments of a day. And if you want to test this, go drive on a freeway just for a few minutes. And someone's going to do something, probably. And the temptation will be great, maybe irresistible to follow self instead of following Peter, or be in a close relationship, or live in this broken world. Just keep your eyes open, and chances are the opportunity will present itself before the sun sets to follow self. How do we follow Jesus when we don't follow him? Return to him. Again and again, get up and return. So that's the second way that this passage through Peter suggests we follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? One more thing. We follow him by keep uh, continuing to embrace 
his disorienting invitations. And here's where I want to spend a little more time. We keep embracing his disorienting invitations. Now, I just want to let that sit on you for a second rather than jumping in and start talking about it. Keep embracing his disorienting invitations. I imagine if you think about it hard enough, something's going to come to mind. Keep embracing his disorienting invitations. Jesus loved to ask questions. We heard one earlier. He looks at these two guys and he says, what do you want? In John chapter 5, just a couple pages over from where we read, Jesus asks a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years, do you want to get well? Now on the surface, it's kind of an offensive question. No, I like sitting on this mat and people go by and look at me with contempt and disdain all day. Do you want to get well? Been on this mat for 38 years. What do you two guys want? You're following me, but what do you want? And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus never stops at the surface. There's always more happening. There's always another layer. His questions are multi-layered and multi-colored. They're invitations into deeper matters of life and deeper matters of soul. What do you want? Do you want to get well? Why on earth would Jesus ask a guy sprawled out on a mat for his 38th year, do you want to get well? Just let your mind play with that a little bit. What might Jesus be trying to do there? What might have happened to a guy who after 38 years now has a chance for the 39th year to be completely different than any of the previous 38 years? See, if we're only listening with our ears to all this kind of stuff, we will miss it and we'll miss it big. We'll miss the invite. But if we're listening with our soul, his questions will resonate and we'll hear it and we might be drawn to it. So how do I follow Jesus on a Tuesday? How do I follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life? Part of the answer is to embrace his disorienting invitations because he's giving them to us all the time. They are disorienting because they do not align with our expectations or support our systems or confirm our entrenched defaults. Rather, they disrupt and disorient us. They open us up to something new and something better if we're interested. See, this Christian thing is not a formula. It's an art form, a dance, an adventure, and a lot of the adventure is spent on back roads seemingly bound for nowhere. And we may be out on one of those roads feeling very lost, and yet God has us right where he wants us. Let me give you an example. At the end of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus prays and he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Think layers. I thank you, God, because you've hidden these things from the people who think they already know these things. And you've revealed them to people who have childlike curiosity and they're hungry for something more. There's always more going on. 
multi-layered and multi-colored, but most people miss it because they're self-reliant and they assume God is the sponsor of their plan and their agenda. Jesus continues in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a wow moment. Counterintuitive. Disorienting in the most delicious way. Weary, burdened, needing rest, tired of faith as a formula that rarely seems to work, and tired of God as a tyrant who seems to love punishment more than people. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, Jesus says. Be my apprentice. Be my student, or our phrase today, follow me. For I am gentle and humble. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know about you, but that visual of God is disorienting. Gentle, humble, an easy yoke, and a light burden So when Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting us into something that has an easy yoke to it and a light burden. So we can maybe play with this a bit, holy and humble, gentle and at times fierce, an easy yoke and a light burden, no endless striving or straining. No God of the perpetual frown. No God of the petty who salivates at the chance to punish. Gentle, humble, an easy yoke, and a light burden. How do we follow Jesus? We recognize that his way is not our way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Or put it this way, his go-to pitch is a curveball. So as we follow him, we can expect regularly that he's going to invite us into the disorienting, the unexpected, the unsettling. I want you to think about that in the details of your life today. Disorienting. Where is he inviting you into disorientation? See, disorientation is about surrender. We sang about this earlier. Disorientation is about letting go of how we want it to be or think it is and embracing how he wants it to be and says it is. Disorientation then is about discovering reality, God's reality. I'll ask it again. Where is he inviting you into disorientation? Let me give a personal example. My mom died in January of 2021. She lived a long and good life. She was a fiery woman and she was a really good mom. And she never retired from being a mom. She was one of these parents who kind of saw it as a lifelong calling to be a mom, but she constantly adjusted and adapted her way of being a mom so she stayed out of the way 
and didn't get involved in things that she didn't have any business getting involved in, she must have said to me more than 40,000 times, well, that's not my place, Michael. Michael was never a good thing when she was calling me Michael, but she called me Michael a lot. I don't know what that means, but when my mom died, I grieved. I celebrated her life and her, and we gathered as a family and did all the things that a family does when someone important uh, moves on and is lost. And after all that was done, I moved on, or so I thought. But in September of 2022, I was invited to participate in a spiritual formation group with several other leaders, and this took me to Menlo Park uh, once a month for nine months. And part of the program was a monthly meeting with a spiritual director to talk about what's God stirring. And my director's name was Patty. And Patty is an amazing woman with an amazing soul and just enough inkling toward absurdity to complement her compelling zeal. In other words, she was a perfect fit for me. So I connected with her immediately. And here's the point. When she and I started talking and sharing, it didn't take long for me to realize that through her and through this experience, Jesus was inviting me into another chapter of disorientation related to the loss of my mom. And I had no idea it was happening or needed to happen until it had already started. It started in September of 2022. At times it's been rather unsettling. I've spent a fair amount of time talking this through with Julie. I've spent a fair amount of time talking this through with Patty and with some others. It's been unsettling, but it's been very good. Why? Because it is working the soil of my soul. And in working the soil of my soul, gradually, eventually, slowly, some kind of good fruit is beginning to emerge. See, Jesus is gentle and humble. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is a God of immense and intense love. And because he is a God of immense and intense love, he will not leave you where you are. He will not leave you where you are right now. I just simply do not think that if Jesus showed up to every single one of us and we had a one-on-one meeting with him and we said to him, so what, I, what do I need you to do? That he'd look at us and go, uh, you're all good. Just keep doing what you're doing. It wouldn't be harsh. He's gentle and humble. It wouldn't be condemning. He's gentle and humming, humble. It wouldn't be Jesus with a frown. He's got immense and intense love. It wouldn't even be demanding. But I do think it would be invitational. He will not leave us where we, where we are. Unless we want to stay where we are. But he keeps inviting us into the disorienting. Keeps trying to rattle our cage. Push against the edges of our boxes. Move the fence line of our comfort zone. Where is he doing that in you these days? I'd invite you to close your eyes as we get ready to finish. Not just this week, 
We've been at this for six weeks. And it's good for us to just give some space here to recognize the questions. What do you want? To recognize the question, where is Jesus inviting you into disorientation? If you want to stay right where you are, you have the power to tell him so and then stay right where you are. But that brings us back to the hollowness or the substance of the phrase, follow Jesus. So my encouragement is, the next few minutes, sit in this space, think about these things.